Welcome to the Traveling Tribes podcast, the latest insight into group travel and tourism trends. Host Jeff Gader, publisher of Leisure Group Travel Magazine and author of Traveling Tribes, interviews travel industry standouts and influencers for an engaging conversation about group travel. Hello, everybody. Jeff Gadek here from the Traveling Tribes podcast, and thank you for joining me today. I have a very special guest with me, Alexander Gloss from Eye to Eye Media. Alec, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Jeff. Thank you for having me here. It's uh, it's a delight to catch up with you. Um, you and I have a, a common business interest together in trying to get more people from China to the United States, and we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Um, but you're actually not uh, talking to me from China, which you're normally from Shanghai. I know that. Uh, you're in Doha today. So what what lands you in that part of the world? Right. I'm in Doha today this week and uh, have been in Dubai for the last two weeks. Uh, well, it's an exciting part of the world these days. You know, it's a world that's opening up certainly to China and to the rest of the world. Uh, from a tourism perspective, uh, it's become an exciting region. You know, in the past, it's been very Dubai focused, but you know, certainly after the World Cup, you know, Qatar has very focused uh, on on global tourism. You know, Saudi is opening up, uh, developing very very fast. The Red Sea area uh, markets like Oman, for example, you know, Abu Dhabi. Uh, you know, even the Maldives, of course, are, are, are expanding, to, if that's even possible. So it's an exciting part of the world. And we're developing a lot of clients here. That's awesome. So I, I want you to start this conversation. Let's talk about your company and what you do in China. Well, we're largely a media marketing company uh, focused largely on, on travel development uh, so we essentially put, you know, travel suppliers and, of course, the, the the buyer side of the market, whether that's the individual traveler or the the uh, the travel ecosystem of travel agents and tour operators, mice managers, corporate travel planners. Uh, we put them all together on a global basis through marketing, through media, through events, uh, certainly through social media, which is which is predominant uh, in China. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we focus on different regions, predominantly right now, the Middle East, but also Europe, Southeast Asia, and of course, North America. Okay. And uh, you started this company when? In 1999. Uh, we now have 27 people between Beijing, Shanghai, and Hong Kong. It's uh, it's amazing how you've grown that business, uh, the perseverance. Uh, obviously, we know uh, COVID hit first in China. So you were the first one in and the last one out from a global stage, uh, perhaps. So I, I, part of this conversation is I, I, I want to get from you really what's happening on the ground, what you're seeing happen uh, with travel in particular. I know you do serve some different segments. Uh, I guess the the good, the bad, and the indifference. You know, we we get reports of of airlift coming from China. Uh, there's been concerns about high airline prices and visa wait times. So you know, let's let's sort of dive into that now that society has returned to a degree of normalcy. What's the pulse like in Shanghai? Well, it's really great, actually. You know, China is not just back, but China is arriving, uh, which I think is really important. And we've seen that, you know, for example, here in the Middle East, uh, talking to hoteliers in in Qatar and in Doha uh, and also in Dubai. I mean, they're seeing arrivals right now. Uh, You can see it in the hotels. 
uh, talked to some hotels last week in Dubai. They're, they've got actual sellout uh, corporate business coming in from China. Uh, so the market is really you know, expanding very rapidly, also into Southeast Asia and Europe as well. According to Chinese national um, uh, national immigration, actually, they're seeing about 150,000 uh, Chinese cross the border every single day. Hmm. Now, that's about 35% of, of so, so-called pre-COVID numbers, Okay, uh, which, which is not bad, you know, considering we're about 110 days, I guess, into the reopening since January 8th. Um, you know, you're right in saying that, you know, the, the aviation market seems to be the, the biggest challenge right now, flight availability. You know, China has bilateral uh, air agreements with most countries, like, for example, the United States. So China has to agree and the other country has to agree on air service. Since a lot of airlines abandoned the market uh, for the last three years, they have to basically reapply. Mm. Now, that kind of sounds simple, but it's not really the way it works because, again, there's reciprocity in, in the system. So if Air China wants to fly to, to a particular uh, city, uh, the other carrier from that country also has to apply. So there basically has to be a, a double service for, for this to work. I think that's taking a little bit of time. Uh, particularly actually on on the international global side, uh, because a lot of airlines have fixed their spring schedules already by the time the market opened. So, you know, you don't necessarily have equipment sitting uh, at the airfield that you can throw into the China market. So what we're actually seeing is a lot of the Chinese airlines are actually coming back a lot faster than the global airlines right Mm -hmm. now. Yeah, I, I know it's been a real challenge. I, I, I didn't mean to interrupt, but, you know, pilot shortages, crew shortages. Yeah, they're not just sitting at the airport waiting to be told where to go. Uh, they're stretched very thin. And, um, you know, I, I think that's a, a challenge that all airlines realize they have and they're working to address. But you can't wave a wand and you create new inventory out. There's a, there's a pipeline of that. So um, any guesstimate on sort of when we'll see and improve? Are, are you hearing any news uh, as far as increased flights and, and reciprocity? Right. Actually, it is it is doing much better. I mean, actually, you know, by, by Q2 right now, which we're obviously in the middle of, of Q2, in a lot of countries, particularly to Southeast Asia, uh, it's almost up to 90%. And even in some cases, the same level that it was back in 2019. Uh, but to to many markets, particularly the Middle East and Europe, it's still in the forty and fifty percent range. The summer, though, looks much stronger. Um, you're seeing a lot of the European carriers, you know, reengage uh, in the China market, even though they now have to have to have uh, creative routes uh, to get to China so they can avoid Russian airspace. Oh, gee, oh, that's right. Jeez. Okay. Right. Which, which is, which is challenging. I, I was on a flight to Helsinki uh, a couple of weeks ago and, and it was like a little bit like, you know, drunken sailors uh, flying around <laughs> Asia. You're, you're keep bouncing around a little left, a little right. And then suddenly you make this, you know, North turn to Helsinki. Um and but you know the reality is that adds you know certainly to Finland that adds about two and a half to three hours to the flight and that that's quite a lot of uh, additional cost uh, you know for some of the airlines particularly like in this part of the world it's not an issue actually so their Asian service uh, they don't fly across Russia and 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 they don't have to or they really have to uh, 
they have to change their flights uh, not not too dramatically apparently so that's actually a big advantage to uh, the middle eastern airlines sure sure and, you know i think what happened is uh, over covid everything shut down and then as we saw a return to travel there were markets that just very elastic picked up right away you know the the road trip uh, traveler um the sports market here in the united states and a lot of destination marketers have sort of thought okay well this market's open it's going to come back right away we have to realize that you need to have patience with really all these markets um but in particular china because there are there are some headwinds uh that are obviously between the the US and china uh politically uh those tend to work themselves out over a period of time uh probably new challenges arrive but uh there's that that we we seem to be sort of working towards some solutions there um but looking back at business pre covid China was such a dominant market for many US destinations. I I know a lot of suppliers are really eager to see a return to that business. So, you know, if you had to crystal ball this, when do you envision that Chinese influx of visitors to be back to anything really resembling what it was in 2018 and 2019? Yeah, I think, you know, as you point out, you know, the one of the big challenges right now is air service to the US. Um, but you know, there are other ways to get there. Uh, you know, the Chinese are traveling. Uh they can connect through Korea and Japan, uh, through Hong Kong, for example. Um and you know, on the visa side actually, things are pretty good. You know, the US has been issuing 10-year multiple entry visas uh for a long time actually. So there's a lot of people in China uh with visas uh, that are eligible capable of traveling. Uh one of the things that we actually see really right now is is an explosion in FIT travel, mm-hmm. not just to the US but to all parts of the world. The big group business that predominated from China actually seems to be very slow at recovering uh internationally. And I think partially that's because people are very used to traveling domestically in China. uh they're happy with that you know they find that, that there's lots of opportunities great places to go in china where you know they may not have been thinking about uh going in the, in the past uh, but they've kind of rediscovered the domestic market of course that's beginning to to migrate into international i mean so overall i think you know particularly to southeast asia to the middle east into europe by the end of the year i think we will be pretty much close to where we were at the end of 2019 There's not just pent up demand from China, but there's an awful lot of pent up money. Uh, you know, by some estimates as much as 3 and 4, even I've seen estimates as high as 5 trillion dollars uh in personal bank accounts in China waiting to be spent. Uh so, you know, travel organizations see that and it's certainly impacting markets like Southeast Asia right now. uh Hong Kong for example we just had the the May 1st holidays in China which is a golden week uh as much as you know 300 to 400 million people traveled in China Jeez. uh you know <laughs> Shanghai for example got about 6 million tourists over 6 days um so you know impressive numbers uh we've also seen that in Southeast Asia in, in the Middle East and even into Europe So you know the travelers there I mean they're definitely you know deciding on on where to go 
but they're also looking for new destinations. Uh, I think that's also one of the things that's going to be different is that they they want new places to go. You know, for example, uh, Doha and Qatar really put itself on the map through the World Cup uh, in the last year. Uh, people are flocking here to find you know, an exciting new country. It's not new, of course, but it's new to a lot of uh, people around the new, world. New to them, for, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Okay. Um, so diving into the Chinese traveler a little bit further, you talked about FIT being predominant, which certainly makes a lot of sense. You, the, the intrepid travelers want to get out first. They have the means. They have the 10-year visa. Let's talk about the distribution channel. So I, I'm a U.S. destination. I won't even pick a location, but I'm one that would reasonably be on the map of a Chinese traveler. What is the chain of distribution from that consumer in China? They go to a travel agency who goes to a tour operator who goes to a receptive operator. So let's kind of walk through what you see. And I, I understand that it, it hits different levels, but just to familiarize well, it could be a lot of new people that are in this market, sort of how that works on the ground to that 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 traveler actually coming to your destination. Well, th- you know, that's another exciting thing. I mean, you know, the, the market, the ecosystem of the reseller side in China has also changed radically. I mean, first of all, the, the resellers, everybody who you knew back in 2019 is probably gone, actually. I mean, we have some data from our side that suggests, you know, upwards of 80% of the, the resellers in China basically failed or the people who were in those positions have moved on. Uh, so a lot of new companies, a lot of new faces. One of the, the big areas that we see are these very specialized bespoke tour operators operators that you know offer just let's say you know adventure tourism mm. uh, culinary tourism i mean i met a company a while ago that does just architectural tours around the world uh, a company that does garden tours and, th- and that's all they do actually um and you know some of these are very very high end uh, but one of the other things that we've really seen is the consumer the chinese travel consumer is going direct so they're going to Marriott.com, they're going to United.com, you know, to Avis.com and booking directly. Uh, so the ecosystem has changed. But remember, only 13% of Chinese people have passports. You know, we make a lot of things in China, but we also make travelers, right? And travelers are growing domestically, and then they're beginning to learn to travel abroad. So a lot of the travelers that have not traveled abroad, you know, for extensively are certainly going to be looking at travel agencies and tour operators. You know, that ecosystem is still there. It may not be growing very rapidly compared to other aspects of the Chinese, uh, the reseller market, uh, but it's it's still there. So, you know, the go-to point actually these days is o- uh, OTAs. Okay. Um, you know, we're seeing not just C-Trip, they're, of course, the largest guys uh, in the marketplace. But actually, when you kind of look at the numbers of, of what Ctrip is actually producing, it's actually still less than 2% of global Chinese sales. Hmm. Um, so actually, there's a lot of other companies out there. There's Elong. Uh, there's Fliggy, which which translates into the flying, the flying pig. Uh, 
you know, we, we love to put animals associated with our, with our travel companies. Yes, here you do. Yes. But, you know, but then there's also these bespoke agencies out there. So I think it's important to remember that the Chinese resale market, the ecosystem is really complicated. Sure. Um, and, and there's just a lot of companies out there that can cater. One of the things that we find still surprisingly today, a lot of companies are very regionally focused. They really just do business in their province or in a particular part of China. They're not really globally focused. Uh, and that's because of the, you know, the face-to-face -face personal contacts that are really important still in the travel industry. I mean, in China, we still have travel retail stores. You know, you can still find stores. Wow, in China yeah. China. You don't, you don't, you don't find that much here. For no. sure, these days, every every now and then, some 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 locations, but it's yeah, it's definitely definitely a thing in the past. So what you just said makes complete sense. It's also pretty daunting if you're a U.S. destination marketer or hotel because how do I reach these travelers? So you know, we, we you and I have talked before about this as we've done business before. There was sort of a conventional process of how people set up their Chinese sales plan, but if what I'm hearing from you is correct, that model won't necessarily work, at least to the same degree that it did before. I don't think it will. And I, and I, and we, you know, we see that certainly with destinations, not just from the U S but around the world and how they're basically re-engaging. I think they are uh, looking beyond the, the physical office environment and having that kind of physical presence really you know really focused on social media number one mm -hmm. uh and and not just wechat you know wechat of course is number one that's the gorilla in the market but there's so many different other platforms that are very productive whether it's uh, weibo for example uh doyin which is which is tiktok here in china uh, little red book is a platform that originally was produced largely for luxury and premium uh, product sales but travel companies begin to realize that people who are buying Cartier and Vuitton, for example, are also traveling around the world. So that's an, uh, a fast-growing platform for many travel organizations. Uh, but I think you know the, the social media element is, is really key, that a lot of organizations have discovered that they can basically replicate the kind of marketing and promotion that they had through physical offices, through social media, through virtual events, virtual roadshows, coming into the market for face-to-face -face meetings or engaging in Chinese partners around the world. Um, so I think, you know, at this point, it, it's a very, very different construction that's mm. necessary. Uh, and, you know, we have to see how it develops. I mean, as the market continues to grow, the question is, are you going to have kind of different stratas of Chinese travelers. You're going to have your luxury FIT traveler. You're going to have your beginning group traveler. You may find that, you know, some of the old elements will still work with all of these new travelers that are coming into the market. Sure, sure. Uh, I, I saw a report a while ago that, that suggests that by 2030, there's going to be 260 million Chinese travelers around the world. Uh, you know that that's that's basically a almost a a doubling of the market size since 2019. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of Chinese travelers. Yeah, and that's first-time travelers that are you know looking for more safety and security. That's older yeah. travelers that may have some physical limitations. Uh, we honestly run into some of the same things here in the U.S. with the domestic group tour market. 
people saying, oh, you know, that strategy is 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 gone. And, you know, while I'll certainly um, tell you that's changed, we've got 10,000 people a day that are turning 65 in the U.S. And while those people right now may not be ready to go on a, on a group excursion, come back to me in eight years when you've had a hip replaced. Or, you know, maybe you've lost a loved one and, and then now you're dealing with a different set of circumstances. So, you know, group is really what brought Chinese to the forefront because they would see these hordes of tourists running into, you know, shopping centers and, and jewelry stores. While that may be a smaller percentage going forward, if the market does continue to recover, people could still see a very robust group element of that business. Right. It, it's a smaller percentage, but it's still going to be 150 million travelers. Mm -hmm. So it's it's certainly something you want to pay attention to. Yeah. And, you know, like like in the U.S., I mean, China is getting older. Uh, you know, the percentage of global travelers who are certainly over the age of 50 and 60 is increasing. Um, but also you have these bespoke tour packages, uh, whether, you know, it's it's adventure tourism, it's safari in Central Africa, for example. It's doing the kinds of things that is hard for an individual or for a family to organize by themselves. They really need a professional. So that kind of business is actually going to be very successful in the future. Okay. Um, do you still see or, yeah, I know you're traveling some to the U.S., um, either through your trade relations in China or uh, directly here in the U.S., that sort of Chinese inbound receptive operator. Obviously, that was a pretty difficult business for three years. Um, what are you hearing about that segment? Well, you know, again, I think I think the the inbound Chinese focused receptive tour operator, I think, is going to continue to do well, largely because you know there still will be this group business. Okay. But again, I think you know a lot of the 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 previous business has migrated to to FIT. Uh, that they've learned to travel, they've learned to travel domestically in China. They may have learned to travel in Southeast Asia and other parts of the world. You know, fly drive is is very very big. It was very big, you know, pre COVID. Uh, we see that you know growing in in, in many markets, predominantly in in Europe uh, and also in Southeast Asia. Uh, hub and spoke travel. So the Chinese will come into a city, they'll stay in a hotel, and then they'll travel in the, in the region, for example. Uh, so that's either, you know, renting cars or using public transportation, but they're not necessarily moving every day, which was kind of the, the, the model in the past. Yep. Uh, instead, they're actually, you know, they're going to sit in a particular place and they're going to use the, the public transportation system or, or other transportation available uh, throughout the region. So there is a behavior pattern. The other big change is that we, we've seen that people really understand that the hotel is part of the experience. Uh, Chinese are really willing to invest in the hotel. Um, they're not just thinking of a hotel as basically a bed and breakfast, uh, that they want a hotel that's going to offer them spa and food and culinary and sports, et cetera. Uh, this has become increasingly important both domestically but for based on our surveys, we're seeing that this is what they want abroad as well. Okay, interesting. Uh, so that becomes a, a more of a core component versus just a place to to, to lay your your head down. Um, yeah. What about you know you, you mentioned earlier, and and I love this the you know garden tours and architectural tours. Um, there seems to be an opportunity for that sort of tour activity and experience market as well to really shine with these tourists. But, you know, again, 
making that connection. Like if I if I operate an architectural tour company in Chicago, how do I reach that Chinese consumer? That's that's just a lot of steps in the process. What yeah, it is in that regard. Right, it is it is daunting, and I th- I think that's why you know Chinese social media is is so powerful in in this kind of space. Um, and the thing to remember, you know, Chinese social media is is very very diverse, and it's different. I mean, the bad news is that you know Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, it's really blocked in China. I mean, pe- people in China have to use VPNs uh, to access it, and, and it's not very friendly. It's not very fast. So you really have to, you know, jump into the Chinese social media world. Um, but a lot of that social media does act and behave similar, you know, in a similar way and design as it does in the West. But they are different platforms, and obviously they they are different language based platforms. But the Chinese then, you know, can book directly with you. Um, so if you're successful at marketing and promoting through social media. Uh, you will find that you'll, you know, you will find that customer that looks, you know, for a Chicago architectural tour. He wants to see all of the Frank Lloyd Wright he can get, you know, <laughs> and um, and so you know that that market is there exactly. You know, again, you know, go, thinking about about the architectural tour and and the the garden tours, you know, these are not mass market products. Uh, these tours are are you know groups are fairly small, 10, 12 people. That's perfect. Um, they're very high end. You know, they're typically about a thousand dollars a day because it's not just going to see architecture and, and visiting the gardens. Because you're also having uh, food and, and and wine experiences, very specialized shopping experiences. There's going to be museums. You're staying in very very nice boutique hotels, etc. So so that that kind of traveler who's looking for that, uh, you know, think of it. You know, who who in China has a garden? Uh, think about you know who in China has the time to to start looking at architecture around the world. Uh, these are special people, yeah. uh, and they're looking for special kinds of travel product. Okay, so so really using various social channels and uh, in, in likely through a third party aggregator versus you know me on a Tuesday afternoon opening up a WeChat account and trying to to welcome the world to my Chicago architectural tours, trying to find different channels where travelers already exist. Yeah, I mean, I think you know one of the great things about Chinese social media is, I mean, and you know, this is this is global. I mean, it's it's very very verticalized. Um, you know, so there are platforms uh, out there specifically about global architecture, mm. uh, and so you know, being on those platforms and and marketing and advertising. Well, if you love global architecture. Uh, if you're looking at, you know, Renaissance architecture, well, we have a tour package to Italy, and that's where you want to go. Sure. Now, um, you and I both cut our teeth in the print publishing world. Is there a print market in China still? Is it uh, specialized? Is it does it exist? Where Where do we kind of sit right now in the future of sort of that sort of that print collateral material? You know, I, I went to ITB in, in in Berlin back in March, and I was walking through the the train station, and there was a there was a media store with a whole wall of magazines. You know, I, oh, I took yeah. a picture. It's like the olden days. Yeah. It, you know, I sent it to friends back in China, and they said, well, "What's that?" You know, <laughs> and, uh, no, but but you know, it it is it is a little bit different in China. I mean, print print does have a space in China. Uh, we actually still produce some print publications. Um, but I think the key to, to print publications in China is, is really very focused, specialized circulation. 
uh, distribution. You know, what what we do with a couple of our magazines, particularly for luxury and for for global travel, uh, is we have distribution exclusively through airport lounges, five-star hotels. So these are places where you're going to find people who are really traveling. Sure. Uh, and 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 that's very, very focused. And the the advertisers are still willing to pay for that, particularly on the luxury side, uh, but also for a lot of the hotel groups, the global brands, but also individual properties, particularly new properties and the airlines as well. You know, China has become a very uh, noisy space at the moment for global travel. Uh, everyone is trying to re-engage. Everybody realizes the Chinese are coming and they are coming. You know, the question is, are you going to get your share? True. How do you find the right kind of traveler that's really best for your destination or for your travel product? I think that's really a, the challenge for a lot of organizations. It's not just getting Chinese travelers. You can do that. But how do you get the right kind of Chinese travel traveler for your particular product? So, so print does actually work very, very well, especially when you have, you know, carefully well-designed uh, distribution. Okay. Uh, I, I would agree. I think we we followed some of that similar suit where it's not necessarily about frequency, but finding that right audience and, and creating something that's very, very hyper-targeted to them. Um, last question for you, um, in talking about the virtual events that, that you had brought up earlier. Um, I know years ago you did one in... Um, uh, the U.S., uh, but that's that's since subsided. But you're currently running visitor summits in different parts of the world. Talk about the virtual events that you do, uh, and then you know maybe the transition to the live because you you you've got some live events coming up. Right. I mean, you know, the live events have definitely come back. Um, we have you know live China visitor summits in in Dubai and in Doha in in August, uh, in Italy, in Milano uh, in November, and also mm. in the UK uh, in November. And right now, we're looking next year at extending that. So not only in the Middle East, but and, and probably spring and fall in Europe as well as Southeast Asia. And you know, conceivably North America as well. The live events are, are powerful, particularly for the buyers from China, because they actually get to see product. True. Uh, it's not just meeting with people, but it's being able to actually visit hotels, visit conference centers. Uh, they get a real feel for the destination. They go back to China as ambassadors. You know, not just to, to talk to their clients and say, you know, this is a good hotel. Because you know, I've seen the video or the picture. It's a great hotel for you because I've actually been there. I know how the meeting space is going to work. This museum is going to be great for an incentive dinner, for example. I've been there. And that makes a big difference. The virtual events, we still produce them. Actually, we're producing virtual events uh, every two or three months right now. I think the virtual events are increasingly becoming more popular for destinations. Uh, so instead of the destination going into China and doing a two-week roadshow, uh, what they're doing is virtual events that allow them to pick and choose the, the buyers uh, far more you know, carefully for their particular partners and for the destination. It's more efficient, obviously. You know, there's, there's less travel. There's no travel. Uh, there's no visa. There's less cost associated to it. They can pick the buyers that they really want to meet. Uh, so typically, we're finding most of uh, our our virtual event uh, clients really right now are destinations, 
to some extent, hotel groups that also traditionally do missions into China. Well, it, it certainly makes sense. We get so accustomed to working in this virtual environment and not as good as being there. You know, this is not my real background of the swaying palm trees and the, the surf, but um, it certainly gives you the impression of that. Um, Alec, um, anything you'd like to close with? Any any final thoughts about the, the Chinese traveler that you'd like to share with the audience? Well, I, th- I think, you know, what's exciting to us right now is that the Chinese travel market has has evolved. Uh, I think, you know, what we're seeing in 23, like I said, is more FIT travelers who I think are really better for the the ecosystem. Uh, they spend more. They they stay longer. Um, you know, they're, they're certainly more upscale in terms of their travel appetite. I think this is going to be really good for the travel industry overall. Uh, the group business will be there, uh, and the group business will certainly come back, I think, in the next 12 to 24 months. Okay. Uh, but what you'll start to find is that, you know, there are very diverse types of Chinese travelers, and that no matter what you want, uh, no matter what's good for your profit center, there is a Chinese traveler out there for you. Uh, the challenge is going to be how do you find them? Social media really gives you that window into China. Uh, and I think, you know, no matter what you're producing, no matter what kind of a hotel or property or destination you've got, there's certainly, you've got to have a Chinese strategy moving forward. It's, it's yeah. going to be there for you. Yeah, and, and, and now's the time to do that. Well, thanks as always. You're, you're a wealth of information, uh, great intelligence as to what's happening in the marketplace. And uh, always a pleasure catching up with you. Alexander Gloss from IDI Media. Jeff, thank you so much. Have a good day. Thanks to everybody. Bye-bye. Get paid to travel the world with friends and family as the leader of your very own travel tribe. This book by travel industry publisher, Jeff